Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. Welcome to the well here at STSA, where we are in part two of a series called Taking Every Thought Captive. For those who weren't here last week, you missed a doozy of a first session because what we talked about last week was the power of our thoughts and I heard so much feedback. So many people came talking to me after last week and telling me feedback based on last week's message. And the feedback that I got was not just the usual feedback. Like I'm used to getting the great talk, okay? And that's, you know, we don't care about that, but of course when someone says great talk, I never really mind. I usually say, as always, you know, what's the difference? But But this is not the feedback that I'm talking about. What I got the feedback from last week was God sent this at a perfect time. I've really been battling in my thoughts. And I got several people say like, how did you know that I was going through this at this time? How did you know that I was battling my thoughts and my thoughts were killing me? And my answer to them, what I want to say is how I knew because I live on planet Earth. And just because I'm a priest doesn't mean that I don't see what you see and feel what you feel and go through what you feel or go through what you go through. And if you are a child of God and you live on this planet and you are trying to get close to God and you are saying, God, you are my father, then you got to realize that there's an enemy who is not happy with that statement and he is going to battle you. And the number one way he's going to battle you is in your mind. Because that's what we agreed last week. We said life's greatest battles, life's greatest battles are won or lost in our minds. Well before you committed that sin. Well before you told that lie. Well before you ate that second slice of pie. Well before you made that click. Well before you lost your cool. Well before any of those things actually happened on the outside. You had a battle in your thoughts. The devil put thoughts in your head and got you to think a certain way. And by the time you acted, that was way, way, like the war was, was, the battle was done at that point in time. Those thoughts, you know them just like I know them. Those are the thoughts of you're not good enough. You never, will, you never were good enough. You never will be good enough. You are not good enough. Those thoughts are, it's too hard. It's too much. I can't take it. I can't do it. I can't do this. This is more than anyone can handle. Those are the thoughts that you had that led you to whatever it may be. Or maybe your thoughts were, you know what? My only value in life, my only value in life, the only way I'll be valuable is if so-and-so or if such-and-such or if I attain or I accomplish, whatever it may be. Those battle of the thoughts, that's where the battle is won and lost. Because as we talked about last week, we said our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So you tell me, so I challenged you last week, you tell me what your strongest thoughts are and I will tell you the path that you are on in life. And then you have to decide if you like that path. Because if you don't like that path, Keeping these thoughts, that's the inevitability that you're going to get there. But the only way to get over there is change the thoughts. Change the autopilot. Change the programming in here. And then I get to a different place. Too many of us are trying to change course in life, but the programming, the autopilot, like the GPS, okay, too many of us are trying to end up at a different destination, but as long as the GPS, the destination is the same thing, as long as in there we didn't change the programming, then it's going to keep saying, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. And that's what happens in our minds. That's why we're doing this series. And I'll prove it to you that it's, all, it's rampant. How often do you see someone who you look at them and you're like, 
that person's got it pretty good. That person's got it pretty good compared to most people. Yet all they do is complain. All they do is they see the negative in, in their lives. How often you see somebody who you, I see this all the time, has so much to live for, yet is depressed and can't see any of it. Can only see what's, what's, they can only see what's lacking. They can't see the 90% that they've received. They can only see the 10% that's lacking. How often you see someone who is so likable, so likable, but doesn't believe it and believes that she has to act a certain way or dress a certain way or behave a certain way in order to be loved. How often you see someone who's so accomplished but feels like a failure. Our lives are reflections of the thoughts we think. Our lives are reflections of the thoughts we think. What comes into our mind comes out of our lives. What comes into our minds comes out of our lives. So because of that, because the thoughts are so powerful, that's why we're doing this series, to see how we can win the war in our mind. And we talked about last week, if you weren't here, go get caught up on YouTube, okay, on our YouTube channel, get part one. We talked about how you need to have an offensive and a defensive strategy, okay? If you're going to go to war, you need a defensive strategy. I see we got some, some people, military folks and security folks, okay? You need a defensive strategy, you need an offensive strategy. If maybe military, uh, soccer, okay? You need a strategy, you need a goalie and a defense to protect your goal, but then you need the striker people over there to attack and get goals on the other side. So we took it from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. First, the defensive side. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Let's read this all together. This is a power. Let's read it all together. I want to hear you with me. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds, we talked about last week. That's a military term. What that means is like a hidden location in your territory, like I'm fighting against you, like I'm America and you're whatever country you are, you're Canada, so America and Canada are going back and forth. But if the Canadians were able to somehow get like a little stronghold, a little base somewhere in here that's hidden, that's secure, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, like in Kansas or Kentucky or one of those states, something like that, and they just hide right there and no one can see them. They're just spitting out missiles and spitting out whatever it is from the inside. That's what a stronghold means. That's what the devil does. He gets a little stronghold in there. And we're not aware of it because we're like, no, I wanted to do this. And no, this, and you're, no, you're being controlled. You're being manipulated by those little thoughts that the devil just sitting there hiding and then boom, send a missile over. And then boom, a firecracker over there. And boom, sniper shot over there. That's what the devil's doing. So we said last week, first thing we want to do is identify the strongholds. Where am I susceptible to the lies of the evil one? Second thing we're going to do, we're going to identify the target, identify the lie, and then we're going to attack it. That's verse 5. All together, read it with me. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's the verse that I would love for you to memorize, that bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What that means is what we're going to do is we're going to take that stronghold, and we're not just going to say, oh, there it is, stay away from it. We're going to... We're going to smash that stronghold. We're going to go find it, and we're going to attack, and we're going to take our strongest weapon. You know what our strongest weapon is? Our strongest weapon, because he said, we don't fight with the, wars, the, the world's weapons. We fight lies with truth. So what we're going to do is we're going to take truth, and we're going to find that stronghold, and we're going to smash that stronghold, and we're going to beat the tar out of that stronghold, and we're going to keep beating the truth over it, beating the truth over it, beating the truth over it, till we demolish that stronghold. We're not going to go up to it and say, hi, nice stronghold, please don't bother me. That's not going to work. we got to beat that sucker with the truth. 
try to think of an analogy. Maybe you're not a war person or sports person. I thought of the perfect analogy, okay, for truth versus lies. Remember Pac-Man? Remember Pac-Man? Okay, how does Pac-Man work? Okay, we're all the little Pac-Man people like this guy. And then there's those goblins, ghosts, okay, those scary guys, and they can kill you. But not when I do what? Not when I go to the four corners and eat the little pellet, okay? I get that little pellet, and that same goblin who's killing me, come on, boy, where you at? Okay? Because I'm going to go and smash it. The truth is our, is our power pellets. Okay? Our corner pellets. That's the truth. So what we're going to do is those goblins around there are attacking us and we're running for our lives. We're not going to run for our lives forever. We're going to go grab a truth pellet. Give me that pellet. And come, you goblin, go chew. Okay? We're going to attack. We're going to attack. We're going to attack with the truth in our hand. And that's the only way that we're going to win this battle. Taking every thought captive. Finding the stronghold. Finding a thought. Smashing that thought. Every thought, I take it, and I smash it in front of the truth. I take every thought, think of another way of saying, I think of it like a custom station. Okay, when you enter a country, not just any idiot can walk into the country, okay? You, you get to the thing, you line up in the line, and they ask you, do you have, you know, hazardous materials in there, like, you know, corn or vegetables somehow are very hazardous, okay, so you can't bring those in. Do you have an animal? Do you have a whatever? Because if so, you can't come in here. We got to be that same way with our thoughts. Thought comes in, we say, excuse me, sir. Do you have any lies? Do you have any hazards? Because if so, you can't enter here. Thank you so much. Turn around. Back to where you came from. You can't enter right here. That's what we have to do, taking every thought captive. That was last week. Now, this week, we're going to delve into the topic of those strongholds and those lies a little bit deeper. Our topic for today is defeating your negative thoughts. I won't do a show of hands of who's ever dealt with negative thoughts because every single one of us would raise our hand. What do we do about those pesky negative thoughts? You know, thanks to science, we know a lot about our minds. And in case you didn't know, our minds are the most complex machinery in existence. Like if anyone struggles to believe that there is a creator, go study the brain. Go study. Because you, you not walk away from that thinking that this thing put itself together by, like it's not just spaghetti and noodles up there. It's not mac and cheese up there. Okay, what's in there is sophisticated, is organized and is the most powerful machine on the planet. Our brains have the computing power. I'm going to say a word. I don't even know what the word means. Of one exaflop. Anyone heard of an exaflop before? Okay, one exaflop. I had looked it up what that definition is. Our brains can do one quintillion, another word we don't know, one quintillion mathematical operations per second. And in case you want to know what one quintillion, because I have to look up because you have to keep going. One quintillion is a billion times a billion. Or that's a one with 18 zeros after it. Your brain can do one billion times a billion mathematical operations per second. Like by the time it takes me to, to, to read that sentence, that's like a bazillion equiflops, quintillions, whatever it may be. That's our brain. Last week, we looked at our, our, our something called neural pathways. And we talked about how every time we have a thought, it creates a little neural pathway that makes it easier to have that thought again. So the more that you have a thought, the easier it is to have it again, which is very helpful when it comes to like remembering the recipe for your grandma's meatloaf. Like it's very helpful there in your multiplication tables. It's a very helpful thing. It's very not helpful when we have those, those devil's lies because the more we think it, the easier it is to think it again. We said we're going to combat that, but we're going to harness that, that, that neural pathway by doing truth, 
Because the, the same way that the lie is easier, the more I hear it, the truth is easier, the more I hear it as well. Today we're going to talk about another component of our minds called cognitive bias. You heard of cognitive bias before? Cognitive bias says the following. It's a systematic error in thinking affecting how we process information, perceive others, and make decisions. It can lead to irrational thoughts, tell me about it, or judgments, and is often based on our perceptions, memories, or individual and societal beliefs. In other words, cognitive bias, something that we all have, is an erroneous way of thinking that causes us to overvalue certain experiences and preferences to the exclusion of rationale. Let me tell you how that works practically. Let's say you grew up, and let's say you had like an angry dad, an abusive dad, or an uncle, or whatever it may be. You, in your mind, may be tempted to think cognitive bias. You know, rationally speaking, not all men are abusive. Not all men are angry. But that cognitive bias in you just makes you a little bit resistant, a little bit shy, a little bit like, hey, everything's going great in the relationship. I'm just not feeling it. Why? I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. That's cognitive bias. Maybe you grew up with an overbearing mom and a mom who nagged your dad all the time. So in your mind, again, you know probably that not all women are nagged. You probably think that. You, like, it can't be statistically. But any time that you start to get close and any time that your wife or any time that your mom, you snap. Because in your mind, they're all like that. They're all like that. I'll tell you what I see. Let's say you grew up in a household with a parents or family or pastor, whatever it is, that spoke bad about another church or another priest or another pastor, or another denomination or whatever it may be. Then you, for the rest of your life, are going to struggle to trust. And you're going to come meet me and you don't have any reason not to trust me. We just met. But in the back of your mind, you have that cognitive bias which says, oh, prob- and I'm fighting, if that's you, I'm fighting an uphill battle that I can't, even, I can't ever win. I can't ever win, no matter what, because you have that bias already in your mind. So what cognitive bias is in a simple way is you allow the behavior of person A to unfairly judge and characterize person B. Does that make sense? Another way that you can look at it is it's like a filter on your mind, a mental filter through which you see things in front of you. Now, I'm not a social media guy, okay? But my daughter's taught me a thing or two about filters, okay? And she's explained it to me that when you take a picture, we're going to put a picture up here on the screen. That's a normal picture. But then you can filter it up. And you can change, to quote her, the vibe based on the filter that you use. Anyone out there use filters? You know, what's your favorite filter? Anyone got a favorite filter? You probably won't admit it right now, but we all got our favorite filters, okay? So I bring a few examples to show you how a filter can change a vibe. So that's a normal picture. This is vintage. This is the same picture. It's the same people on the same dumb cruise, but vintage. I'll get you another one. This is Vogue. And now I look at this and I'm like, yeah, that is Vogue. They do look kind of stylish right there. Okay, this another one's called bizarre. Not like bizarre with an I, like bizarre like an A, like a church bizarre kind of thing. 
This one, uh, next one is called alpaca. I don't know why it's called alpaca. That's what it's called. You can take notes. Then I had my favorite one. This one is called, okay, I'm reading right here. This one is called superstar supermodel. Anyone ever heard of this filter? Anyone use this filter? Superstar supermodel. And this says, I'm just telling you what it says, is guaranteed to make you more attractive. You ever seen this filter? Guaranteed to make you more attractive. Lesson, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Let's get my wife's picture off there before she kills me. Lesson is this, ladies and gentlemen, is it's not the facts. It's the filters that shape our perception. It's not the facts. It's the filters that shape our perception. This is why you can have two people, exact same scenario, exact same circumstance, respond in polar opposite ways. If you're a supervisor at work, you're a boss at work, you may go to two employees and give them the exact same feedback. And the response will be as opposite as can be. One may say, how dare you? And don't you know what I've done for this company? And I'm offended and you don't know anything about anything. And then the next one can come and say, thank you so much. That was very helpful. I appreciate it. Why? Facts are the same. What's different is the filters. Or, let's go back to church. I see this all the time. Two people walk into church, both off the street, both first time being here. Both don't know anything about anything, don't know anybody, anybody. Those two people hear the same sermon, meet the same people, drink the same coffee. And then one of them walk out, all hypocrites. Nobody cares. All they care about is, is money. And the priest jokes stink. He's not funny at all. And the other person, more enlightened, could walk out of there and say, those are the nicest people I ever met. I thought the sermon really hit home. And that is a funny, funny man up there on that stage. <laughs> if I can go a little bit deeper, something that's very obvious. I don't know if I'm taking my life in my hands right here, but how about the news? How about the news? Aren't we all hearing the same facts? Like, facts are facts. Like, I'm not a news guy. I'm not a social media guy. I'm not a news guy. But facts are facts. But the difference is, is the filter. Like, let's just go back a few years. Remember that thing called COVID? Remember they came up with this thing called a vaccine? And what you had? Facts are facts. Like, they weren't changing what's in it. But some people, that's from the devil. That's there to kill us and capture us. And some people, that's the solution to every problem that ever existed on the planet is if everybody... It's the same facts. But what's different is the filter. The filter changes how you respond. The filter changes how you see it. The filter changes your perception of whatever facts it is. That's why here's a verse. If you're looking for a good verse to hold on to, 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this. It says, but I fear, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What a, that's a golden verse. Again, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what St. Paul is saying right there in this verse? He's saying exactly what I'm saying. It's not the facts, it's the filter. It's not the facts, it's the filter. The facts for Adam and Eve in the garden didn't change. The facts were God created you, and everything was good, everything was good, everything was very good. And you knew that on Monday. 
And you knew that on Tuesday. And you knew that on Wednesday. Nothing changed on Thursday. But when the serpent came in, he convinced you to look at the same facts with a new filter. How do you know he's good? How do you know he's on your side? How do you know he's got your best interest? How do you know? None of the facts changed. Everything was the same, but what was changed was the filter. So I say it this way. You can't control your circumstances in life. But man, you can control your filter. You can't control your circumstances in life. I can't help you with your circumstance. I can't change your circumstance. If I could, I would. And if you could, you would. But what you can change is your filter. Same facts, but your filter. Let's do it this way. Same facts. Your filter will allow you to see it this way or this way. I'm not saying it's going to go from here to here. But I'm saying that filter. See it this way? Plus two or minus two? Who is the master of this, this, this filtering life through the lens of truth with St. Paul? St. Paul, for those who don't know, okay, he wrote half the New Testament. St. Paul lived one of the hardest, by all accounts, lived a miserable life. Horrible life. Persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, rejected by his own, abandoned by his disciples. People badmouthed him. People spat on him. People stoned him. People, like, eh, by all accounts, lived a miserable life. But somehow, he never gave up. He never lost hope. And in fact, he was a source of hope for so many. So you say, how? Like, given these facts, miserable life. But you know what I could take with these facts? I could put it with this filter. And his filter allowed him to never lose hope, to never give up, and like I said, be a source of hope for so many others. We're gonna see three verses from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, <clears throat> which is one of the final letters that he wrote. So it's coming at the end of his life, after all the hardship, not before. And in fact, get the full context of it, the epistle was written while St. Paul was awaiting execution in a Roman prison. So it's not being written from the beach. It's not being written from the hotel. It's being written while he's under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. Okay, he was chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier, and he knew that every time a knock came on the door, that could be his head to be cut off. They didn't have it like scheduled like we have it today, like it's gonna be on this day. Any day, they could just come in and say, we're killing you today. St. Paul, if you go back a little bit in life, before he was a preacher of Christianity, was a persecutor of Christianity. So because of that, he, when, when Jesus appeared to him and told him that he was going the wrong direction, St. Paul wanted to make up for lost time. And he was always driven his whole life was I persecuted Christianity. I killed Christians. I was personally responsible for the death of so many. So he wanted to flip it and said, I want to be personally responsible for the salvation of many. And I want to preach the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And he had one major dream in life. And that dream was to preach Christianity in a certain city. And the city was Rome. Because Rome at the time was the capital of the world, the most influential city. And St. Paul's mind, if you win Rome, you win the world. Because everyone comes into Rome and then goes. So if I can influence Rome, I'm influencing the whole world because people are always going through Rome to different places. So he had this dream that I'm going to go to Rome one day and I'm going to preach the gospel. And he spent his whole life to accomplish that dream. And eventually he did make it to Rome. But not 
as he had planned. As I just told you, when he got to Rome, he didn't arrive as a preacher. He arrived as a prisoner. And in his mind, I'm going to arrive as a preacher. I'm going to rent the Colosseum, do a big event, flyers, connection team, handout, streaming to Leesburg, like everything. I'm going to do that whole thing. And eventually, he did get an audience in the Colosseum, but they weren't coming to hear him preach. Coming to see him killed. So instead, another way, St. Paul's lifelong dream had been crushed. And it's important that you know that context. I'm going to show you the verse right now. But before I show you, I wanted you to have that context because I want you to read this in light of your broken dream. In light of your situation where hope is lost. In light of the thing which you had always wanted and always dreamed of. And even if I don't have that or that, like, I'm going to get there one day. I'm going to have that one day. And now St. Paul's at the point where one day is never going to come. And we're going to read what he wrote. We're going to read what he wrote from two different translations. Okay, usually I like to bring the New King James translation of the Bible. We'll see that in a second. But before I get to the New King James, I wanted to get you a different translation, the NWV. Anyone heard of the NWV translation? It's the New Winers version of the Bible. It said this. I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me really stinks. Royally stinks. As a result of all the misery I've been through, I'm not going to church anymore. My life stinks. I'm too busy complaining about it to come to think, to think about anything else. Peace be with all. That's the new whiner's version, which if you're new to church, doesn't really exist. I made that up, okay? But it sounds like something we might say. It sounds like how we might think about it. Because my life stinks, I'm not doing anything. Let's read what St. Paul, let's, let's see the real filter that he used. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And we're going to read a couple more verses, but I just, I, this is a, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What he's saying is, the things that you see, me locked up, house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, about to get killed, to the untrained eye, looks bad. But actually, it's good. And it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, the, fur the word furtherance, again, paints a military picture. If we are a, an army and we're going to go over there and attack, then what happens is you would first send in a, 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 a group of soldiers to clear the way, okay, to clear the path for everyone else. That's the word furtherance. So what he's saying is here is that me being in jail, me being in chains, as actually clearing the way for the gospel. It's actually making a way for the gospel to be preached. Think of it another way, sports. It's a lead fullback, okay? There I have a lead blocker, and the gospel is here, and there's a lead blocker opening up a path for the gospel to be preached. And the thing that we see is bad is actually working out in a good way. You say, how is that possible? He says in two ways, verse 13 and 14. He says, first, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he says two things. First, it's been evident to the, the palace guard that my chains are in Christ. And then number two, that the rest of the brethren are now bold by my chains. What he's saying. First thing, we'll take the second one and then go back to the first one. 
First thing he's saying, the other brethren are more confident. What he's saying is, think of it this way. Let's say something, we need to get something done here at church. Let's say we wanted to collect all these chairs and stack all these chairs. There's two ways that I could get that accomplished. First way is I come to you and say, hey, do you mind to carry a chair? Oh, thank you so much. Do you mind? Oh, I'm busy. Do you mind? Oh, I have lunch. That's one way. What's an easier way? I'm just going to start stacking it myself. And what are you going to do, if you have any blood in you, when you see the old man priest start stacking chairs, especially if I can do it with a, ah, uh, ah, uh, if I do it that way, ah, uh, oh yeah, sorry, my back, yeah. If I do that, what are you going to do? You're going to help. That's a little priest trick, okay? That's kind of what we do. We kind of do one chair, okay? And then we go and, 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 and take, you know, laugh at my, ha ha, we got everyone to, to do the work for us. Well, that's what St. Paul is saying. He's saying, when the rest of the brothers and sisters saw me, and I'm in prison, and I'm preaching, then the ones who were on the sideline were like, I don't know, this is scary, and we don't know. We're like, if he's doing it, if the old man, St. Paul was an old man by this time, if the old guy is doing it, then we can do it. So they put me in here to shut me up and shut the gospel up, but what they didn't account for is that everyone is looking and saying, you try to hurt him, he's not going to be affected by it, and actually we're inspired by it. That's what he's saying is they're much more bold to speak the word. Now, the second way that the gospel, that, 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 that his imprisonment is actually furthering the gospel, it said there that it's been apparent to all that my chains are in Christ, to the palace guard. I told you that St. Paul was constantly chained to a Roman guard, 24-7, but they would take shifts. Every six to eight hours, they would shift guards. So he'd be with one guard, would be tied to him, and he'd like walk him around or sit with him, whatever it is that he'd do, and he would guard him for eight hours, and then the next guy, and then the next guy, and then the next guy, all the time. My question to you, who was the real prisoner here? St. Paul or the guard? What do you think St. Paul was doing during those eight hours at a time? Preaching the gospel. And as a, as a fellow preacher, I'm thinking to myself, he can't run. He can't go anywhere. He has no choice but for eight hours to listen to me have a seat. Like, I'm sure by the end, the guard was like, get him away. Let somebody free me. Like, who was in prison to who? St. Paul's like, you're holding me back. You're not holding me back. You're giving me a captive audience. And what happened is that many of the palace guard became believers. And the Roman palace guard, the Roman guard, the Roman soldiers were influential people in society. And they traveled the world, and many of them became believers and carried the gospel to wherever it is that they went. So here, again, what most people saw, facts versus filter. Facts don't change, filter changes. The fact, I'm in prison. Some filter, it's killing the gospel. Another filter, no, 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 no. It's furthering the gospel. It's not the facts. It's the filter. This is so important to understand this concept because I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, there's one thing that I can guarantee. You know how they say like you guarantee uh, death and taxes, the only thing guaranteed? I guarantee you something else. I guarantee you that life will not go according to your plans. I guarantee it. I guarantee it that careers will stall, bosses will frustrate, relationships will end, loved ones will suffer. I guarantee you that life will have complications and frustrations and disappointments or 
Simply put, life will have stuff. Stuff. Stuff happens. Stuff. And everyone has stuff. And there's not a day that goes by that you're not going to experience stuff in your life. And that's bad doctor stuff. That's fighting with my spouse stuff. That's wit's end with my kids, teenage kids stuff. That's bad news on the news. Guaranteed. There are days where you feel like everything is wrong. And I promise you, in that day, the devil will not have mercy on you. He will pounce on you. And he will be prepared with many filters. He will say, come look at my selection. I have many filters. Would you like the despair filter? How about the hopeless filter? How about the nothing's ever going to change filter? I have many of these filters. How about the why try filter? How about the give up filter? How about the everybody's against me? Like he's got many, many filters for you to choose from to view those events. I told you all that today what I see is not demon possession, but I see is demon oppression. I see the devil oppressing people with these filters, with these thoughts, getting us to look at the same facts, like we're seeing the same facts, but through his lens. That's why St. Paul says it this way. He said, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. St. Paul is saying, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Change your thinking, change your life. If you can make your thoughts new, if you can put new filters in there, you can change your life. And in case you're wondering, what's this look like? What does it look like to put on new filters? Well, you know what? I told you some of the devil's filters. I brought you some, of, some, some filters from, the, from God, okay? Here's a few. You ever heard of these filters before? They're made available to you in the catalog. There's the everyone's against me filter. Do you, you, you know what that is? The everyone's against me filter, that's very simple. That's Romans 8.31, which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So anytime you see everyone's against me, everyone's against me, put on this everyone's against me filter. What you'll see is that God is for us. Who can be against us? Who can stand against us? How about the I need help filter? That's very simple. That's Psalm 121 verse 2. That says that my help, my help is not from you, not from you. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You say, you know what? I've gone through some stuff. I need a fresh start. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 17, that's your filter. Because it says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. So you're going through some, some stuff and you say, I just need a fresh start. Boom, put on that filter. Feeling unacceptable? John 6, 37. The Lord who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. No, don't you worry. Because 1 John 4, 4 says that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. How do you like those filters? Those are some good filters. I see people taking pictures. You need any more filters? I got more for you. I got the I'm scared filter. No, you're, no, you're fine because you got Luke 12, 32. Do not fear the little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How about the I'm tired? Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. How about the where am I? Where am I? What's going on? Did you got Psalm 23, verse 4? That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I can't. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I stink. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you don't like any of those filters, you open up the Bible, the catalog. There are 31,000 other filters in there for you to choose from. Go find one. Last week I, put, I said some verses and people would say, what was that verse, what was that verse? Where do I find that again? 
You know where you find it? You find it in the Bible. You don't need me to tell you verses. You actually, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little secret. I actually didn't find these verses in the Bible. Do you know where I found them? I walked into church and I found all these verses. In case you haven't noticed, in our church sanctuary, we have pews. Every pew has a Bible verse on it. It has a Bible verse. I just said, you know what? I need a whole bunch of them. So I just walked in. I just walked around. I picked, pick, 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 pick that one right there. Very easy. Because the point is this. We need the word of God desperately. Ladies and gentlemen, we need the word of God desperately. We need the word of truth desperately. We need to speak it. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. Man, if I could tattoo it on the inside of my eyelids, I would. That's why it's all over the sanctuary. That's why every icon has a verse underneath it. Every pew has a verse. And that's why every time that you are in need, you should walk in. I know everyone has like their personal seat that they like. I'm not trying to change your seat. But you know what? On your way out, after you greet, whatever it is, go walk in there and just go grab one. Go grab a verse. I don't care which one. Don't take the pew, but I'm saying take the verse from the pew. <laughs> go grab one. And they should be, I heard it one time said, it said, uh, uh, this is back when people had paper Bibles, okay, in the Stone Ages. They said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who's not. A Bible who's falling apart usually belongs to a person who's not. And I think a lot of our weakness up here is because we are not eating a good diet. If all I put into this body was junk food, you would not expect it to look in peak shape as it is right now. <laughs> Do not expect me to be the superstar filter, okay? Well, if all I put in here is junk food, some of us, our mental input is the equivalent of a diet of Twinkies and Ho-Hos and Ding Dongs. And then you wonder, We need the word of God. If you are trying to break strongholds of the devil without truth, good luck. That's our only hope. Because in the end, the right filter turns obstacles into opportunities, setbacks into setups. That's what the right filter does. That's what St. Paul teaches us. Challenge for you this week. Go out there and find some new filters. Go out there and find some new filters. I showed you a few up there on the screen. Go find them. But don't just find them and circle them in your Bible or, or again, we don't do paper. Don't, don't just make a little, you know, like that little thing and, oh, share with, the, you know, look at this and then never do anything else with it. Don't do that. Memorize it. Recite it. Live it. Discuss it. When you go out to lunch, let the word of God be on our mouth. Discuss it. Like, I want to be able. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold you all to this. I want to be able. I'll give you a couple days, okay? But the next time I see anyone, after Wednesday, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, hey, what's your verse? What verse did you find? What filter did you find? And I want you to tell me, hey, I found this verse. Or, hey, I got this one. And let, let that be our conversation. We talk about enough dumb stuff. We talk about dumb stuff. Okay, we're going to meet for an hour. 58 minutes of dumb stuff. But two minutes of something beneficial. Two minutes of something productive. That's the word of God. That's what we need. In our mouths, in our ears, in our eyes. Living it. And I promise you, last thing, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it will make a difference in your life. And I don't doubt it for one second. Just like I said, I know, I know if you change your Twinkie and Ho-Ho diet to non-Twinkie and non-Ho-Ho, I know it'll have an impact. I don't know what the impact will be. You, you, you may be able to walk up the stairs for the first time without taking a halftime break. Okay, for what? You, like, I don't know what the impact is going to be, but I know it's going to be positive. And I believe the same thing here. You trade out those old filters 
You put new filters in. And I promise you, you will see results. Because while we can't control circumstances, we can control filters. And in the end, it's not the facts. It's not the facts that shape our perception. It's the filters. So what we're going to do, we're going to identify the stronghold, identify that lie. We're going to take that thought captive, and we are going to beat it with truth. We're going to beat it with truth. And we're going to keep in front of our eyes at all times the lens, the filter of God's word. And like I said, we got 31,000 options in the scriptures. We're going to go out and find it. And I promise you, I promise you, that is the only way that we will find freedom from what that battle in our minds. Let's stand together and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand in front of you right now, we're inspired and we're encouraged and we're hopeful that you can give us freedom, that you can free us from the strongholds and the devil's lies which so many of us suffer from. And we know, Lord, the only way is gonna be through your word of truth. So I pray that you would renew all of our commitment to your word and that we would fight this battle with your weapons, not our own. Guide us, Lord, to find those filters that you want us to have and give us the, like the, 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 the discipline and the commitment to memorize them and to live in them so we can experience the freedom that you desire for all of us. We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.